Welcome to Living Wisely, Living Well, timeless wisdom to enrich every day with Asha Nayaswamy, one of the spiritual directors of Ananda Palo Alto and a founding member of Ananda Worldwide. If you enjoy this content and are inspired by the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda and his disciple Swami Kriyananda, find Asha on YouTube, Facebook, all podcast directories, and her website, ashajoy.org. Living Wisely, Living Well by Swami Kriyananda. I probably don't even need to say that, so let's take that out because that will be elsewhere on the thing. So I'm just going to say, here is the Living Wisely, Living Well aphorism for July 1st. Short and sweet it is. That's not the aphorism. It's just a short and sweet aphorism. Encourage good ideas no matter what their source. Well, that's not a lot of words to work with, but let's see what we can figure out with this. The first thing I thought of was, in my many years with Swami Kriyananda, um, the extraordinarily, I want to use the word, egalitarian way in which he related to everyone around him. Um, In the context of our lives, we were all... Uh, disciples or devotees of Paramhansa Yogananda. Yogananda died in 1952. Um, Some of us were actually inhabiting the planet, but we were children then and were not possible to be his disciples, or at least not adult disciples. Swamiji, however, was 22 in 1948 when he met met Paramhansa Yogananda. So he was the only one among us who'd had a direct relationship with the one we all considered to be our guru, Um, He had decades longer on the spiritual path than we did. He was a highly accomplished man in, you know, administration and in art. And I mean, I can just go on and on. I've written a whole huge biography of him, and I don't need to repeat it here. All the point I'm saying is he had every right to either to expect or even, even to claim some kind of superior understanding and knowledge. And the most extraordinary thing about him, one of the most extraordinary things is he never did. He simply never did. He was interested in truth. And truth can be spoken by anyone. And Swamiji had an extremely impersonal interest in truth. It wasn't like the truth as I see it or the truth as I want it to be or my ideas are the best because I'm the closest to the guru and I'm the one who can say them and who are you and just all these different things that the mind, even just out of impatience, would naturally uh, come up with. He was just always very impartially, very impersonally interested. I remember one particular incident that uh, was notable. There was this woman who was a friend of Ananda, but she was a little loopy. I think that's really the only way I can think to describe her. She just, you know, she had a a take on things. She warned us that um, uh, sometimes she would accidentally dematerialize. (laughs) <laughs> and if we happen to notice that she disappeared, don't be concerned because she would reappear very soon. <laughs> of course, we never actually saw it happen, but in her mind, somehow that was a truth. And, you know, 
she had many fine qualities, and she was actually a very nice lady and even accomplished a fair amount in her life. But, you know, she had some loopy ideas. Um, Sw- uh, Swami Kriyananda was uh, very much in demand at all times because he was running a very large community, he had hundreds of people who looked to him all over the world. I think this took place maybe in the late 70s or the early 80s. It may have been while, while I was still even working as his secretary. So people would come, the point being, people would come to Ananda village where he lived at that time. And yes, I was his secretary and I was his appointment secretary. And many people would want to see him. And he accommodated as many requests as he could accommodate without sacrificing his ability to accomplish anything else. So, and oftentimes people, well, it doesn't really matter. But, you know, it was, it was always delicate. I have to add to that also that he, he, he corrected me, or I should say he trained me when I was his appointment secretary. He said, you must never make people feel that, that my convenience is more important than their welfare. He said, it's just, because it's not true, is the first thing he said. He said, sometimes the work that I'm doing is more important than their desires. He said, it's not necessary that we accommodate everybody's desires, but I would never sacrifice anyone's welfare merely for my convenience. And it was, and he said, and then sometimes it just simply isn't possible to grant someone's request. It just, circumstances or conditions are just not, it just doesn't allow it. But you must never think that you're doing it merely, they're doing it, you're doing it merely for my convenience. I tended to be protective of him. And I tended to value him more than I valued of others. And he said to me, that was understandable, but it was not appropriate. Just as simple as that. I mean, I was not allowed to value him more than I valued others. I had to value the truth, the priority, the dharma, which, was, which is quite impersonal, you see, it's very different. So I, I really actually learned sort of how to do that, just for the sake of filling in the idea. I realized it was entirely a matter of attention. So whenever I was representing Swami Kriyananda, and fortunately it became a habit in my life, whenever anyone approached me, I would give them 100% of my attention. Because if you give someone 100% of their attention, that's three-quarters of what's required for them to feel that you have acknowledged their existence, because you have. And I would also, I developed the habit of whatever they asked for, I would try, if possible, first to say yes before I said no. Um, meaning, I would, I would, and this again, this was sincere. This was not a technique. This was just sincere. You know, I really would like to present this gift to Swami myself. Oh, yes, that would be wonderful. I know how much you would want to do that. But as it happens, he's in seclusion for the next week and he's not seeing anyone. But you've acknowledged uh, the righteousness and the desirability of their request. So it isn't a matter of just denying it because it's not convenient. But if I, if I could arrange that for you, I would be so happy to do it. But, you know, whatever the circumstances are. So Swamiji trained us and exemplified for us. So I'm going back to the slightly loopy woman who occasionally would dematerialize and we had to just not worry because she would come back. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> Swami had such a way of just enjoying the human comedy, you know, rather than feeling the need even to comment on it. It was just something that we all knew and that we were all warned that, you know, don't worry. And, you know, he never, 
even in private, said anything except just would smile. It's like, what does it matter what people think and what they do? You know, let's concentrate on the positive and enjoy the rest of it. Master himself was like that. You can discriminate without judging. You can see things for what they are, but that doesn't mean you have to judge them. You just see them for what they are. So um, this woman really wanted to see him, and it was a time when Swami was trying to accomplish, you know, some writing or music. And you know, it requires um, because when he would spend time with people, as he put it himself, he would he would give them a hundred percent of his energy, and as a consequence, he would pull his energy away from whatever creative project he was doing. And then it wasn't only the time away from it, it was that he would have to work his way back into the reality of what he was doing. His explanation of why he was able to accomplish so much in so many different fields was because he said most multi-talented people uh, don't accomplish that much because they're always switching their focus. Swamiji said when he was writing music, he couldn't even imagine writing books. And when he was writing books, he couldn't even imagine how he could ever write music. He would just devote himself to whatever was in front of him, which also meant the task. He said he could relax with his friends. He could even like watch a movie, um, go out to dinner or something like that, and still keep his mind on his project. But if he had to relate to someone in some way that was important for them, you know, when they came to him with a need, which was quite different than going out with a few close friends for relaxation, he would have to take his mind completely off what he was doing. So, you know, it was a balancing of realities. So, I was, this woman told, said, she had a very important message for Swamiji, and she had to deliver it. I did my best to persuade her that I was a reliable messenger. She absolutely assured me that there was no way anybody could intercede. It had to be personal. Um, I, you know, so I told Swamiji about that, and he sort of rolled his eyes a little bit and thought, you know, what are the chances that this is really going to be as important as she thinks it is? But then, as soon as he did that, he corrected himself, and he said, whenever I imagine that God can't possibly use that one as his instrument, he said, I'm always proven wrong. So he, as a, as a deliberate act of humility and respect, without much expectation, he said, go ahead and give her an appointment. So I did, and he, she had a private meeting with him. And afterwards, you're not going to be surprised to hear. Swami said, she really did have a message for me, and it was very important. I mean, back at that time, it had to do with um, Master's predictions about coming hard times. Um, this is being recorded in 2020. I don't know when you're going to be viewing it, but it's being recorded during the time that we're all sheltering in place because of this COVID pandemic, you know, so in, 19, in the 1970s, this was only Master's prediction, whether this is the start of more serious things or this is just a blip on the horizon that we'll soon forget, remains to be seen. But Swamiji took Master's predictions very seriously, and this woman gave him a few ideas that he felt were really just what she said they were. They were directly from Master. I, I myself also, I met Swami when I was 22. He was 44, 41 actually, 21 years older than me. And uh, he remained 21 years older than me for the whole time that he was alive and I've been alive. And at the age of 41, he was extremely well established as a disciple. 
as an adult, a fully, a fully mature adult functioning as an adult in this world, something I'm still striving to accomplish at the age of 70, almost 73 now, I have uh, begun to realize that I'm perceived as an adult and that it might be wise at least to try a little bit to behave as one, but there's not much value in that that I can see, but at least to, and I will be serious for a moment. I have spent a lot of years on the spiritual path, and even more than that, I've been quite privileged. I've been well taught, and I have an obligation to pass that on to others with appropriate respect for what's been given to me, so even though I joke about that. But Swami himself, and this is also directly related to, his, his, to this aphorism today, Swami's personal self-image always remained that of a little boy because his personal self-image was only in relationship to Master. He never developed a self-image in relationship to everybody else's opinion of him. His his self-definition was as a disciple, and as a disciple he was always a boy in front of the Master. And that wasn't false humility, that wasn't self-abnegation, that was just a genuine response to how he felt. So insofar as I'm joking about that, it's really a very serious um, perception. When I was in my 30s, um, Swamiji was writing, let's see, it would have been 76, so it would have been, I was 29. Um, Swami was writing The Path, his autobiography, and he and I and another woman of my age were together in Hawaii for several weeks we were, sec- we were secretaries, and we were helping him in a secretarial way as he worked on the manuscript. It was the last book he wrote without a computer, so he needed human beings in order to help him with that. And also he had us read the book out loud to him. It was such an important book, he wanted to hear its cadence. Um, those, are, those are all stories I tell in my biography of Swami Lightbearer. Um, but at one point, we were just all of us were just... Um, a little burnt out from day after day after day working on this book. So we decided we would take a boat ride. You know, we were there in Hawaii. We had hardly been out of the apartment. Um, so I was calling to make reservations, and the lady said, how many adults and how many children? And really, I was about to say one adult and two children. And then I realized that if my friend and I, clearly full-grown, had walked in and tried to get in for half-price tickets, they wouldn't have accepted it. So I had to sort of, you know, like cross my fingers because I felt like I was lying. Three adults, you know, even though I was certain there weren't three adults coming onto this boat trip, there was one adult and two children, as simple as that. Swami passed away from this world in 2013. And it's sort of like I feel the only grown-up has left the planet, you know, and now it's just us kids trying to sort it out. Well, going back to this, um, let's see, where would we be? So, uh, yes, I was 21 years younger. Swami never referred to my age. I never even thought about it, but he never did. And when I became 21 years older or more than some of the people I was working with, and I, having less self-control than he, would be sometimes tempted to silence alternative ideas, rather than encourage truth, good ideas, no matter where they come from. I really appreciated the gift that Swamiji had given me. And then when I saw him the next time, I thanked him. I said, you never referred to my age or inexperience. 
And he accepted the compliment because he knew where it was coming from. But he had this aura about him that I have come to know means that there's still something I'm missing. His answer was really simple. I never noticed. He said, physical age is, is a completely irrelevant fact. If Once you factor in reincarnation, somebody two years old can be far more advanced than somebody who's 90. It's just, he's, and then he, he just said, I just, I don't, I don't look at people, I look into them. In the same context, he once said he doesn't know what color people's eyes are, and he demonstrated it because he looks into the eyes. He doesn't look at the eyes. You see? And so, to encourage good ideas when you find them, for him was a state of consciousness. But witnessing the state of consciousness, one realizes how one can develop that consciousness by practicing the right behavior. God bless you. Our work is made possible by inspired listeners. So if you feel to support Asha, you can make a one-time donation or for unique members-only content, subscribe through Patreon. Blessings and thank you.